So Money episode 468, Richard Ludlow, Executive Director of the MyRA program. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You're listening to So Money, everyone. How are you doing today? I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi, and the topic today, the buzzword is retirement. The R word, how's your retirement portfolio going? Hmm? More importantly, though, how do you save for retirement if you don't have a lot of money and your employer doesn't offer a retirement plan like a 401k? Apparently, that is many of us currently in the United States. And so today's guest, Richard Ludlow, is the executive director of the MyRA program within the U.S. Department of Treasury. And he's here to share more about this particular program and how it can help to serve millions of Americans facing this debacle. MyRA is a relatively new retirement strategy. You may have seen some headlines about it. It stems from the U.S. Department of Treasury, and it boasts no fees, no minimum contributions, and ultimately it aims to lower barriers to saving for workers with zero access to a workplace retirement plan. And Richard himself has experience as a founder and executive in Silicon Valley, where he managed the launch and growth of many new initiatives in both the education and healthcare sectors. He's a graduate of of Yale and the Harvard Business School, and now he's working for the government. How's that impacting his finances? And how's his retirement plan going? Yeah, we get a little personal as well with Richard. But more importantly, some great advice from Richard about how to save for retirement when you really don't have a lot of resources and the future of the Myari program. Here is Richard Ludlow. Richard Ludlow, welcome to So Money. Hi, Farnoosh. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So today's show is going to be a little bit different than our typical shows. You know, normally we have guests on and we dive deep into their financial lives and maybe you'll reveal a couple of things about yours, but mm-hmm. I'm, I think it's more important since we have you uh, and as you are really at the helm of uh, a very important new government program to help Americans arrive at retirement with more financial security, um, that we talk about retirement. This is a huge problem. It's not really something that I would call a bright spot, you know, when it comes to personal finance planning. We know that millions of Americans have very little to nothing saved for their futures. And I even get calls in from people who listen to this show and my audience is I like to think, uh, well prepared for, for life's unexpected twists and turns. But, you know, they, it's still a work in progress for a lot of us. And even if we do have a few hundred thousand dollars saved, which is n- not an insignificant amount of money, there is a lot of insecurity around retirement and how much we'll need. There are a lot of unknowns, whether it's healthcare costs, social security, of course, it's a big Google search term these days. But Richard, let's talk first about not a solution, but um, some service that the government's providing around this problem. This is the MyRA program that we're talking about, which was a, a relatively new initiative announced in 2014. President Obama announced at the uh, State of the Union, and it was launched officially in November of 2015. Tell us about MyRA, because I think still many of us don't know about it, or if we do, we aren't sure about how it works. Sure. 
So as you mentioned, so many Americans, um, you know, haven't saved enough for for retirement. Um, And among those are Americans who haven't saved anything at all. And it turns out that one in three working Americans have not begun saving for retirement at all, have absolutely no retirement savings. Um, you know, so the administration you know, wanted to see you know, what can we do to, to help make it easier for people to start saving? What's getting in the way of, of individual saving? Um, it turns out that you know, the, the most frequent way that people save for retirement is, is through an employer-based plan like a 401k. But 40% of workers actually don't have a plan like that. It could be part-time workers or small business employees um, or retail workers. They often don't have a retirement plan at work. And those individuals um, you know, are less likely to start individual retirement accounts. And one of the reasons for that is that there, there are barriers to first-time low-dollar savers getting started. A lot of um, brokerage accounts have minimum balance requirements. Um, or, or fees that can be pretty substantial for a low balance account. Um, you know, a lot of first time savers, um, you know, aren't interested in or are intimidated by, you know, a, a lot of complex investment decisions. So MyRA was designed to be a simple way for individuals like that to start saving for the first time. So the government created a Roth IRA that has no fees, no minimum balance requirements, and offers a a single safe principal protected um, investment option for those individuals who are saving for the first time to build up a balance. And then as they grow their balance, hopefully expand onto other retirement vehicles. Right. So this is a plan that I believe once you hit about $15,000, you have to then roll it over into something else, maybe an institutionally managed account. Yeah. And so at that point, you've got a lot of great options in the private sector. Um, you know, you're, you're beyond the minimums of, of just about any, any brokerage account. And so really, we, we plan to start educating people and, and reaching out well before they reach 15000 letting them know about different options and that they should, you know, consider um, life cycle funds or, or more diversified options. But, you know, that, that 15000 is just to have a hard stop to, to reinsure that this is really designed as a starter account for people. How do you get access to the MyRA? Um, so individuals can go directly. Um, it's available at myra.gov, and then anyone can set up an account, and people can choose to fund it through, through payroll um, um, direct deposit or um, by making contributions through their, their checking or savings account. So most people, you know, choose to to do a recurring contribution once or twice a month. Um, and many small businesses um, that can't afford a plan are, are promoting it to their employees, but it, it's totally individually based, not tied to your employer. And, and so therefore, of course, completely portable um, if you switch jobs or, or have multiple jobs. The community for this, the eligibility for this is, is widespread. So there's, I, I think I read that half of all workers almost will qualify, or 75% of part-time workers. Uh, those are the folks that will probably be eligible to open an IR, a MyRA. And just to um, let people know the household income threshold to qualify for this, you have to be making uh, less than $191,000 a year. And I believe that this was a program that had a lot of there was a lot of hope for it that there was it was like going to be a no-brainer. How is it going? Are people really adopting this? 
Yeah. So um, as mentioned, we we really just went public on on last November, November mm-hmm. of 2015, and so we have more than 10,000 savers um, so far, um, and you know, growing every month. You know, what's really encouraging is is seeing the savings patterns that people have. So the vast majority have set up recurring contributions that are fifty to hundred dollars a month. So that suggests that we really are reaching these first-time savers that likely don't have the savings built up to start a traditional brokerage account. Um, and as I mentioned, we're we're, we're very early in, in the program's life, and you know we're working with a number of partners to get the word out there, and 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 hope over over the years to to grow that substantially. What do you think is really driving the issue of people not having enough for retirement? And there's probably a variety of of circumstances that are prohibiting people. But what do you think are the main the main problems? Yeah, you know, obviously that there there are some people in in really tough financial situations that that aren't in a position to to put money away at all. Um, and you know, and as we were researching this this program, we saw that there are also you know, of the tens of millions that aren't saving. There, there are tens of millions, you know, a large percentage that that do make enough that they they could put something away. And you know, the one of the barriers or one of the things that it, it, is that because they don't have a program at work, they they aren't directly prompted to do so by by anyone. Um, and then the other issue that, that that I mentioned was that you know maybe they do think they want to open a retirement account, and then they look at a brokerage account, look around, and and see that there's a minimum um, of you know it's often a thousand dollars, or their their fees, um, and if they're you know just starting to save for the first time and and, and want to start putting away a small amount, th- those can be prohibitive. So. Um, you know, we, we wanted to create something where there was, you know, if someone was motivated and, and they, they found out and decided they wanted to take the step to start saving, that there would be as few barriers as possible for them to get started. I'm sure you get a lot of questions about Social Security. What's your take on that? Can you give us some insider scoop on that? Maybe, <laughs> you know, from the trenches, can we bank on this for millennials uh, today, if you're in your 20s or your early 30s, is this something that you can still rely on? Yeah, well, I, I'd say it's it's funny that um, it, it actually kind of works to the advantage of retirement savings that a lot of millennials don't think it'll be around um, for them. So that, that actually gives them more of an incentive to save. Um, but if you, if you talk to the people who um, really know well. Talk to the Secretary of Treasury. Um, you know, Social Security will will need some reforms, but it, it's it's much um, it's it's in much more of a secure position than, than a lot of people think. And yeah, I totally agree. Almost imagine that it's uh, hope for it, but don't plan for it. And in that case, you'll be more you'll have more control over your own security in retirement. You know, maybe let's talk a little bit more about the details of the MIRA in terms of how it works. So it's it was established to be like a Roth IRA, but um, I guess the advantage is that the money your principal never gets lost, so it is quote unquote guaranteed money. Yeah, you know, since you're investing in U.S. Treasuries, um, they're you know generally considered to be the the, the safest amongst the safest investments possible. So you're you're not taking on market risk and. While in the long run, um, you know, obviously, it, it, it's best to, to take on some risk and to you know have equities in your portfolio as as you're as you're saving for retirement. But 
when we did our research and looked at first-time savers, many weren't interested in taking risk when they're saving for the very first time. And, um, you know, in scenarios, we would see that if people would start saving and then see their initial savings go down, that might discourage them from continuing to save. Once people have built up a balance of $1,000, $2,000, and they, they have that cushion there, then they're, they're much more open to, to having some risk and the upside that's associated with that. So, so the goal here is to give people a completely safe way to, to get started. Your background, um, you know, you went to Yale and Harvard Business School. You are very connected with Silicon Valley. In your work experience and in studying maybe human behavior and how it correlates to money and saving, I don't know if that, that your work has taken you in those directions, but do you think that a program like this behaviorally works well for us? Because I think, you know, one of the, we talked about barriers earlier. It's resources. It's, it's access to saving for retirement, but a lot of it is just, we don't have the desire to save sometimes. We'd rather live in the now. This idea of retirement being 30, 40, in some, in some cases, in, non-existent for some of us, we feel like we're going to work forever. What's the point of saving? So how do you, how does this program help close that barrier? Yeah. So I think, I think it's one piece of the puzzle. And so the, it, it's a very good fit for those individuals that, you know, in, in our research shows have the means to save for retirement, actually might even feel guilty about it and, and just need to, to hear that something like this exists. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's great to, to get the word out. Um, and, and then we see that, you know, it, the more people that hear about it, the more people sign up. Um, and, but as I said, it, it's just one piece of the, uh, of the puzzle. So now, now many states are starting to take legislative action to, um, you know, to create retirement marketplaces or to create programs um, that would default individuals into retirement savings and then have them give them the op- the ability to opt out. Um, so I think it's it's going to take many different actions, um, you know, for uh, to help close this this gap in savings from from what people will need to have a sound retirement and and what they're doing now. And yeah, we're we're just one piece of that. We all work hard and we deserve a good night's sleep. I've told you about the Casper mattress before. It's the Mattress Time magazine named one of the best inventions of 2015. Casper is something new to the mattress industry, a brand sold directly to consumers. What does that mean for you? It means you can get the Casper, an obsessively engineered mattress that's made in America at a shockingly fair price. And it's comfortable. Casper combines springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. And Casper ships directly to you for free in the U.S. and Canada. Returns are free too. They make it really easy to try the Casper. You can try for 100 nights risk-free in your own home. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund everything. If you go to casper.com slash so money and use my code so money, you'll even get $50 off any mattress purchase. So rest easy and try Casper today for 100 nights in your own home and get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash so money and using my code so money. In developing this program, who consulted you um, or who consulted the treasury? Maybe you had meetings with private sector because you ultimately want to be able to create a program that, you know, makes everybody happy. 
Yeah, so you know, this was um, many years in the making, and um, actually was developed, you know, before I, I was working with the, with the Treasury. And so the, the, they certainly sought input from you know a very broad base of stakeholders, including many private sector, you know, firms, you know, financial in, institutions, and. You know, and 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 one of those those points of input was was saying, you know, at, at what point would somebody have built up enough savings that you know they would be a very attractive customer, um, kind of regardless of any other circumstances. And so that's why the the maximum was set at, at fifteen thousand rather than something lower. You know, so so there there was input from. You know, from economists, um, from from the private sector, from from labor to you know, to come up with a program that you know works for people w- without really being competitive with private sector offerings. I think one one of the great things about this is that it, it it's going after individuals that that likely um, you know wouldn't otherwise be saving in other retirement vehicles and other brokerage accounts, um, but you know allow them to build up those savings, then actually become a part. Um, of the, the the private sector offerings. Yeah, and these days with a lot of automated platforms to help you manage your money, whether it's Wealthfront, which is a sponsor of this show, or Betterment, or the others, I think um, we have now more ways to save you even more when it comes to choosing our investment strategy. We don't have to go and pay high fees if we if we don't want to afford, afford it um, with a financial advisor. We can use something automated and um, save significantly that way. Do you feel like you have enough saved for retirement? <laughs> I mean, and, and how do you define that? I mean, how do you go about figuring that out? Yeah, well, once you take a job like this, uh, you certainly are motivated to become educated right? about about what you need. Um, and you know, I was actually very fortunate that um, that my dad, a few years or when I was still in high school, gave me the book "The Richest Man in Babylon," and I. I don't remember most most of the book, even though it's really short. But the the one key point was always save ten percent of what you earn, and that can become hard to do once um, you know if you don't start that way. But um, you know, after business school, I, I adopted that, and um, you know, and just paid myself first, um, and have built that into to my planning. And um, you know, I think that. I feel like it's putting me in a good position um, to, to to build up what what most people recommend would would be uh, you know a good amount for for retirement. What brought you to this role? I'm looking at your LinkedIn right now. I'm doing a little. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm cyber stalking you right now, Richard. You know, we mentioned your uh, your academic credentials, but also you are a founder in 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 several. Um, Startups, um, some, including the Alt School, which we just had one open up in Brooklyn uh, not too long ago. Um, Academic Earth. So, what uh, what drew you to government? Yeah, so you know the the common theme and and everything that I've worked on has generally been new startup initiatives where you're trying to make a difference in people's lives. So that's been in, in, in education and done some work in healthcare, and um, you know with uh, with my RA, it's it's basically running a startup within the federal government. Um, once again, w- with the goal of making a positive difference in 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 people's lives. So it was, 
you know, a great opportunity to, to use the background that I had in, you know, working on web products and, um, and, and reaching people through the internet and, and you know, and consumer marketing, um, while tapping into the, the resources of the federal government and, and kind of having a completely new learning experience, but having the, the chance to potentially make um, a difference at, at a very, very large scale. Which also, you know, brings up the question of, you know, since we do live in an age where Americans were not necessarily working that one job for the rest of our lives or even a few jobs, we're stringing together jobs. We, there's the gig economy. We go to one place that doesn't have a retirement account. And then we go somewhere that does. We dabble in entrepreneurship. We're kind of all over the place when it comes to our careers. And so how do we continue to maintain a consistent investment strategy for retirement? Because sometimes the money is very volatile. The income is very volatile. And and you, I'm asking you because I think maybe you might have some personal experience with this as someone who, you know, for a while was entrepreneurial. Now you work. And I hope that, you know, the Obama administration pays its uh, staff well with enough to save for retirement. But, you know, the, the idea being that you're going and you're zigzagging a little bit and you're going where opportunity speaks. But um, maybe it's not always a same the same game when it comes to your access to retirement savings. Yeah. So despite saying that I follow that 10 percent rule after business school, I definitely made the mistake coming right out of college um, of not saving. Really not at all. And you know, I was, I started a startup right out of college and, you know, like most early founders, wasn't paying myself that much. And, you know, I had the attitude, you know, well, I'm making less than my market salary. I'll certainly be making more either as this grows or as I move on to traditional jobs. There's no, no real need to, to save right now. And I think that was a really bad attitude to take. Um, that, you know, I, I certainly could have found a way to save something. Um, and to be honest, I, I, because of that, I was in a really tight squeeze for, for, for a while after, um, after closing that startup because it was sold, but the, the, the payoff was, was down the road and, um, I was entering school. So, you know, in, in retrospect, um, you know, even though I wasn't making a ton, I certainly could have set aside enough for an emergency fund and, 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 and even some, a little bit for the long run. Um, and so, you know, I think that, I think we need to work on changing the mindset that saving for retirement isn't something you only do when your employer gives you a 401k or, or a plan like that. But that's, that's just something that you set aside that you say, I'm going to save 5%. I'm going to save 10%. And if you're, you know, if you're a contractor, if you're self-employed, um, then you do need to take it, take action yourself. Um, you know, open a IRA, open a Roth IRA, um, and and continue to do to do that um, on your own and and build that up. And so, even if you, you switch jobs often, then you can continue to to grow that that savings. Um, and yeah, as you mentioned, um, my generation especially, they switch jobs all the time. And so you're, you're going to, to be in that situation often. And, and, and so everyone really needs to take, um, take it upon themselves to be responsible for their own future. Yeah. And it's not just being responsible financially, but also with your health, you know, um, because that's, I think, the biggest 
wild card in retirement is how much will my, how much will I have to pay to, to take care of myself? Uh, what's, what are, what are going to be the unknown health risks that are, that are awaiting me? But I think there's a lot you can do now to make sure that you're doing the best to keep yourself healthy and you're doing a lot of preventative care because that's ultimately going to mean money saved for you in retirement. You're not going to hopefully need as much. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people recommend that, that we do a lot more education in, in schools and in high school and in college that, that everyone should be taking a personal finance class and, you know, and, and, and taking a health class. Um, so, so they do think about those things. So I would definitely be supportive of that. Um, cause that's, it's going to be such an important piece of everyone's life, regardless of, of the career path that they're going down. Well, so I just spoke to, um, one of the uh, co-founders of BarkBox, um, Henrik Wordelin. I don't know if you are familiar with his work, but he, I just, what you're saying, it clicked with something that he told me yesterday, which was that when you are out there, and we're not talking about retirement right now, we're going to talk a little bit about entrepreneurship because I have you on the phone. I think you have a lot to share, but that if you want to be an entrepreneur, you don't have to, um, inher- you don't have to take on this ideology that everything has to be a risk. I have to risk it all. Um, that you can actually have a relatively balanced life financially, emotionally, resourcefully as you're building your business. And what helps is to, you know, perhaps keep that day job because that is going to give you the financial runway to basically dabble in something experimentally and to, to experiment with something. So, you know, looking back at how you've maybe started businesses, what would be uh, some lessons that you would tell the next generation of entrepreneurs or, or a friend who wants to start a business? Yeah. So I think that advice to put yourself in a life situation where you you do have a little bit of stability, where, where you have a bit of a cushion, really can can be helpful, um, and it, it it lowers the, the the stress of entrepreneurship, and and allows you to make decisions that are best for your company, that are, that are best um, for you know for the, the the vision that you're trying to pursue. Um, if it's you know if you don't have to make decisions based off of your ability to pay yourself for the next month. So you know some of the, the smartest entrepreneurs that that I've talked to and that I learned from and. You know, as I was running my first startup, um, where I think I, I took a, a pretty risky approach and then, you know, kind of reformed how, how I approached my, my next startup. So, you know, some of the best advice that I got was I saw that um, several successful entrepreneurs described it not as taking a huge risk, but as systematically working to reduce the risk um, inherent in launching your idea. Um, and there are a number of ways that, that, that you do that, um, you know, building up the, 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 the team that, that gives you a, a platform for success, um, you know, networking with, with, with investors in advance, you know, having, having that base, um, you know, being in a understanding what your personal needs are. So, you know, how much do you need to have saved away to be comfortable given your, your, finance, your, your family situation? Um, where do you want to live? Um, you know, kind of thinking through all, all of those issues to say, you know, what puts me in the best position to succeed um, and, and then you know, taking that same approach to being very systematic about doing the same for your company. And it's not that you'll never face challenging times and, and you know, it, it still is a risk in some ways, um, but it doesn't have to be as as risky as um, as 
as, as many people think. It doesn't right. have to be a completely binary situation mm-hmm. where it's just success or, or failure. I see you know, many examples where people build companies and, and maybe it doesn't have that huge exit, but you know, they establish a name for themselves. They, they build a great reputation. They build contacts. And it actually ends up you know, leading to a, a positive career step following that startup, even though it wasn't the, the conventional startup success that, that people are looking for. I think you're tr- absolutely right about making sure that your who you surround yourself with as you're building this business is so key that you want to not just like these people, but that there is a real support system there. Um, and uh, that's it's not easy. It's easier said than done because we know that um, it's hard to find the right people, but um, it's it, it is one way to mitigate risk. So what's next for you? What's going to be your uh, next step? Well, you know, a lot of the people that I work with are, um, you know, part of the administration are political appointees, but the, the MIRA program, including myself, is largely run by people who are not political. Oh. Um, so I actually, um, my, my term doesn't end um, when, the, when the president's term ends. Oh, that's so great I'll, news. Yeah. So I'll continue to be working on, on growing the MIRA program and you know, most, most of the team will as well. Um, so obviously it'll be a transition here in Washington and it'll be interesting to see what, what comes. But you know, this was established to, you know, I don't think of this as a political program at all. And, um, you know, this, this was established to be something that can continue to grow, um, you know, well beyond the, the transition. So it doesn't have any risks of being overturned or ended abruptly, anything like that. We don't have any dramatic headlines in our future. I don't have a crystal ball, um, <laughs> but 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 as mentioned, you know, I think it's not, I don't see it as, as partisan at all. I think it's kind of the, the most conservative possible approach to the social safety net. It's you know it, it's it's a it's a means of of nudging people in the right direction and, mm-hmm. and really helping people help themselves. Um, and and so you know I I, I think that um, you know if we continue to to work on on, on the product and. Um, and and get more and more people benefiting from it that um you know it'll it'll be here to stay and and that doesn't mean it'll stay exactly the same as it is you know we'll continue to just like a startup would to look at you know how do we evolve how what adds the most value compared to what else is in there in the market uh, you know how, how do we adapt to make the, the the product more appealing to people and i hope to be able to continually do that um over time well, sure. 10,000 people who have signed up is great. Uh, I'm sure you're hoping for millions. And so for sure, you have uh, your work cut out for you, but I think it's a, uh, a fantastic mission. I'm so glad you're going to be sticking around. Thank you so much, Richard, and wishing you best of luck with the program and with your career. Great. Thank, thank you so much, Renish. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about MyRA, you can go to somoneypodcast.com. We've got some important information there for you. You can also go to myra.gov. And like Richard said, you can sign up online directly. If you missed any of this, you can go back to somoneypodcast.com, download the audio, read the transcript, and leave a comment. And if you've got a question for me about work, money, life, kids, travel. At this point, we've covered a lot of topics on the show. If I don't have the answer, I can reference a podcast, a guest. Please send me your questions. I'd love to hear from you. And it's very easy to do so. Just go to somoneypodcast.com and click on Ask Farnoosh. And that's how we will best be connected. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope your day is so money. So money.